Today's scripture reading is found in the uh, book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 11, through chapter 3, verse 15. That can be found on page 998 in the uh, Blue Pew Bible. Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God <clears throat> excuse me, has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives <clears throat> in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating <clears throat> hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, <clears throat> and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, bless us that we would uh, understand your word uh, spiritually, that is, that we would be struck with it, that it would impress upon us uh, the truth about God and truth about our salvation, a truth about who we are in Christ Jesus, and truth about the great work of the Holy Spirit that you have brought about in our lives. Lord, bless us to that end, that your name would be lifted up and we would be transformed. Amen. I still remember... <clears throat> saying to a lady at the YMCA, taught, she was a potential trainer and uh, the person I had run into to 
talk about losing weight. And I said to her, uh, I really want to shrink wrap my, my body. Okay, that's the way I put it. <clears throat> and uh, being a bit of a wordsmith, you know, that was really a creative way to say that I want to lose weight. I'm going to shrink wrap my, my body. Um, well, that was about 1997. <laughs> Do I look like I've shrunk wrap my body? No, uh, not at all. Um, in fact, to uh, add to my embarrassment, um, I was offered uh, a suit right after I got here, uh, a suit that was going to be made for me, okay? Several guys got together and offered this to me, and I said, that is a great, great gift, fantastic gift. I just want to lose weight before I get it. You know, it's kind of a motivation to do that and to have that done and, and be a, you know, slim guy in a slim suit. And that was, um, I wish it was just six months ago, but it was probably like eight or ten years ago. Um, and so uh, I'm not, I've not gotten there yet. And, and according to the charts, um, I'm about six inches too short, it looks like. Uh, that's my real problem, I think. <clears throat> um, and uh, I can just see, uh, it's probably close to 40 pounds, okay? That's about what it would be to get me down where the charts say I should be. Uh, and so I can just see them carrying me out that last day in the, in the box saying, I don't think he lost any weight yet. No, no, he didn't um, to the end. And, of course, the, the problem uh, with things like that for all of us, with whatever we have struggled with, um, is, is motivation, right? Why would I do this? Why? And, and, and a motivation to lose weight or whatever it is you want to discipline yourself or develop some skill or whatever is that you have to have a stronger motivation than that which would stand in the way of it, uh, like a desire for food or, or uh, hanging out with friends and eating food with them or whatever it might be. It's got to be stronger than other motivations. And one of the things that they've shown again and again uh, with athletes or people trying to discipline themselves in various ways, whether it's exercise or eating or whatever, is our identity, okay? How we see ourselves, because if we see ourselves as negative, as we see ourselves, not, not, not in the sense of, of Scripture sense that you see that yourself a sinner before God, but you view yourself in a I might call it bad creational way. That is, you demean your creation. You demean who you are as made by God. And so uh, it, it's easy to think, well, I just can't do this. I'm not worthy of this. I will punish myself this way or I'll reward myself because I have such a bad life. Uh, all kinds of things. So it's bound up in who I am or who I want to be or even in what I think I'm capable of or not capable of. Identity is so important in uh, what we do. And in this passage, Paul deals with this command that we do good to those around us. And, and the emphasis here is that we particularly manifest goodness to those in our society, those around us. It's a particular emphasis here that every believer manifests this goodness uh, in, to those uh, in our society, those with whom we come in contact. And he does this by talking about three things. You do this because you are now a new person. Uh, it 
you do this because, and I'm going to invent a word here, you're a mercied person, okay? A person who has received mercy, but I'm going to call it that. You're a new person. You're a mercied person. And thirdly, you're an accepted person. And he uses these as motivations because you'll see there after giving the commands in uh, verses 1 and 2, he then in verse 3 says, for, and now he gives the reasons, okay? Here's the command to be uh, ready for every good work. And I had this more extensive section read because you can see how many times he talks about this, uh, good works in this section. Chapter 2, verse 14 Jesus died so that we would be zealous for good. Uh, here in verse 2, that we be ready for every good work. Verse 8, uh, be careful to devote themselves to good work. And then chapter 3, verse 14, uh, to learn to devote themselves to good work. So this renewal, this change in our lives, uh, this having been showed mercy and having been accepted is supposed to manifest itself in a whole new goodness that we manifest, uh, that we show to people uh, around us. And so we're going to look at these uh, three things, a new person, a mercied person, and an accepted person. Well, first, a new person, we get this in verse 5, and this is the focus on the Holy Spirit. This is why we've picked this passage uh, because it does have a wonderful section on what the Holy Spirit does. He has the fret. He saved us, verse 5, and then he tells us how he saves us. And this explains basically the nature of this salvation that has been given to us. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, this really gets to the heart of the matter in, in a dramatic way because you can sense here that there's some inward change occurring, uh, and he's expressing it through these terms of washing, through the Holy Spirit, regeneration, and renewal. Now, here, here's an excerpt from uh, December 11, 1988, Calvin and Hobbes, a Sunday edition. They're sledding. And if you know anything about Calvin and Hobbes, if you're not familiar, it's little Calvin and he's got his uh, stuffed tiger, Hobbes. But when he's alone with Hobbes, Hobbes is alive and they discuss things and play together and all this kind of thing. So now they're sledding. And often when they're sledding, uh, Calvin is giving off his philosophy about life, his uh, assessment of the way things are. But because of the particular season, he's going to be taken up with this concern. So, Calvin, as they're sledding, they're going down. I've been good all day. Hobbes, Christmas is getting near, huh? You got it. <clears throat> Next frame, Calvin. I've been wondering, though, is it truly being good if you only... Uh, behave, if the only reason I behave well is so I can get more loot at Christmas, all right? Good philosophical, moral question, right? Next frame, I mean, really, all I'm doing is saying I can be bribed, right? Is that good enough, or do I have to be good in my heart and spirit? By this time, Hobbes is covering his eyes because they're about to crash, which is the end of every sled trip or wagon trip. They always crash at the end. 
Next frame, as they hit the tree, they're flying in the air. He's continuing. In other words, do I really have to be good or do I just have to act good? Then completely encased in snow, both of them, and they're carrying the sled. You can't even see them anymore, but you see their little bodies in the snow. Hobbes finally responds, in your case, Santa will just have to take what he can get. (laughs) And then Calvin gives us this. Okay, so exactly how good do you think I have to act? Really good or just pretty good? So it's moved from, okay, I won't be good, I got that. But then if I'm just acting good to get something for good, how good do I have to be? You know, he's like minimum, just the barely amount that I have to do or be uh, to get what I want uh, for Christmas. So obviously the whole heart of it is not there with him. But what Paul is saying here is that we are rescued so that what we used to be, which is described in verse 3, that we were foolish, disobedient, particularly passing our days in malice and envy, hated, or this may mean hateful and and hating one another, but we've been rescued. We've been washed from that life. And the washing is the result of the work of the Holy Spirit. This washing may have an allusion to baptism, but it's primarily talking about the washing and cleansing and transformation that occurs from the Holy Spirit. And you see this in verse 6 because he emphasizes that Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. So the pouring out, imparting richly, the Holy Spirit, so that we would have regeneration, or this word regeneration may mean new beginning. In fact, uh, it's got the word genesis in it, okay? A new beginning, a new genesis. And then renewal has to do with a new creation, new life, a new self. So these ideas of beginning or birth and newness are brought brought about in our lives through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And basically, when the Spirit is poured out in our lives, as one fellow put it, God imparts himself to us, okay? It's not that God stays away and just sends his Spirit, although that's kind of how we think of it sometimes. No, this is God coming to us in the person of the Holy Spirit, who is God, and so God is imparting himself to us. His, very, his, his giving himself freely and lavishly to us to take, uh, to, for us to be his dwelling place, for us to be, become the workshop of our God, the place where his workmanship will occur. And so... Here, the, the very pouring out of the Holy Spirit may as well be a kind of reference to that baptism which pictures for us what is done for us by the Holy Spirit that he has poured out into our lives. But this is not a one-time thing. It's interesting this word for renewal is also the word you find in Romans 12 too, where he says that we uh, would always be renewed in our minds, commands us to be continually renewed in our minds. And so this genesis, you might say, this newness, this renewal 
will keep bubbling up in your life. It's a spreading genesis, right? It's a spreading renewal, uh, like uh, the planting of an oasis that actually begins to take over the desert. That's a good way to picture it. This is the planting of the oasis that begins to spread. In fact, you might say God changes the very rainfall in your life so that you have a whole new supply. He changes the spiritual weather. He changes the geography of your life. There's a whole new uh, irrigation system. Ezekiel speaks of the showers of blessing, the streams that will come to us because of his grace. We know a little bit about that, right, in that the last, uh, uh, the month of May, Oklahoma had three more inches than ever they had had in any month on average over the state. And we had two more inches than we had ever had over the whole month in, in, uh, in, in our history. And it, it's been 70 years since we've had that much rain in DFW. Well, that's what God does for us, right? He brings a whole new richness to us, a whole new stream of life to us. And so this renewal, you might say this genesis, it's not a passive, inert, immobile thing. It's not static, but it's disruptive. It plows us up and plants. It's seed-bearing, fruit-bearing, ongoing, escalating, expanding, vigorous, dynamic, this life that has been given to us because God imparts himself to us. So this is one of the motivations. He says, you show this kind of love to them because you were not what you were before. You have undergone a, 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 a cataclysmic transformation. Uh, the, the Spirit has come to you to bring radical transformation to your life. And the encouragement uh, we have in, a, in what we just confessed in terms of, of, of Ambrose. I, I love this because it's reflective not only of Ezekiel 36, but also of what God says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, when he says, I will circumcise your heart and cause you to love me with all your heart, soul, and mind. And that should be an encouragement to us. I will do a work in you so that you will love me with all of your being. And so it's part of, again, it's salvation. It's not something I can do in and of myself. He rescues me from myself. And so it's encouraging that we can simply say to him again and again and again, Lord, continue to bring about that renewal you have begun in the Holy Spirit. Continue to manifest that you have indeed saved me. You have rescued me. I am in that condition of rescue and renewal, uh, this regeneration, this renewal that is in my life. And so as Ambrose says, give me a heart of flesh after Ezekiel 36 to love and adore you, to delight in you, to follow and enjoy you. I hope that's a real prayer for you. It, 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 it's a real need in my life because... It's difficult to continue to love and adore him. It's difficult to really take delight in him, to enjoy him. It's so easy for us to dull out over that. We need constant rescue and renewal so that we can both love him in that way and then that we can love people that are really, really not lovely people, that are people that are hateful, 
people that are hating one another, people that are envious, people that are disobedient, that are full of malice and envy. Those are the people that he calls for us to be carefully doing good work, to be devoted to their good, to be learning more and more how to do good to those kinds of people. And obviously, this kind of renewal is after the image of God who shows that kind of mercy to us, who showed that kind of kindness to us, which takes us to the second point. So we see here by the Holy Spirit being uh, imparted richly to us that we have this regeneration and renewal, but he also underscores the fact that this is, we are mercied people. We have received mercy from God. And so it's interesting how verse 5 reads. This is the order in order to, and he does this so to underscore his point. It reads like this. The goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, he saved us. So the he saved us is at the end of that phrase. So he wants to put up front so that you, before I even get to the word saved, I want you to understand it's not because of your works that he saved you, but it's because of his mercy that he saved you. So the emphasis here is that you were, and and that's why he says four in verse three, You do good to these people. You don't speak evil of them. Uh, You don't gossip about them. You don't slander them. Uh, You honor them in every way. Why? Because you were the same yourself. And he describes that in verse 3. You're just like them, and God showed mercy on you. You were just like them, but God showed mercy to you. He didn't save you because you were one of the good people. And sometimes people want to get God off the hook and say, well, who does God choose to show mercy to and who does he not choose to? And they say, well, he looks ahead and he sees who's going to believe. And then he picks those people. But when you read what that, what a lack of faith uh, is, how it's described in Hebrews chapter 3 where he says, Be careful that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. So we just think that God looks ahead and says, "Up, evil, unbelieving heart." No, evil. No, oh no, oh another unbelieving heart. Another evil, unbelieving. Good night. All these unbelieving. I need to find somebody who doesn't have an evil, unbelieving heart. I want to find the good people. Those are the ones I want. I don't want the bad people. I want the good people. Those that have trust in me, those who see my goodness and they put themselves in my hands, those are the ones that I want. And I hope you kind of think, eh, that can't be true. That can't be right. That God would favor the best people. And so those of us who happen to have evil, unbelieving hearts, which I think most of us know, yes, I did, um, that we had no hope in this, this scheme at all. And so it's not by works, it's according to mercy. And so mercy repeats what he says in verse 4. It's the goodness and loving kindness. Better translation, perhaps, his love for mankind. It has that word love and man in it, his love of man. 
appeared in Christ Jesus. So the appearance of Christ was the appearance of kindness and love. It's like kindness and love came on the scene when Jesus came and in the midst of all of his work, that's what was being shown. It's the same thing in chapter 2, verse 11, where he says, the grace of God has appeared. You see, in both cases, he's describing the work of Christ, the coming of Christ, and all that he did. It could be personified as this, God's grace showed up, or God's kindness and his love showed up in Christ Jesus. And it was given to us not because of anything in us. It was given in spite of who we are. He came and he rescued us, though we were the hateful ones. We were hating one another. We were slaves to various passions, just like everyone else. And so one of our motivations then, of course, is that I must become like my Father who has showed mercy to me. That's the point of this passage. Love in this way because God has loved you in this way. And coupled with this renewal indicates, and you've been renewed so that you can and will love in this way by his grace. You can't say, well, I just, there's no way. Oh, of course. This is part of the renewal to make you into his image. He's both giving you the motivation of his own love towards you that should humble you, overwhelm you, that he would love one such as you. It makes you realize these people that I now am called to love are no different than I was apart from God's grace. And I must give myself away to them as God has given himself away to me. And by God's grace, he's lavished himself. He's imparted himself to me, his character, so that I can be like him. And I can love people in the most difficult circumstances. And the idea here, as we read in verse 14 of chapter 2, that we would be even zealous to do good. Now imagine this. Zealous to do good to people that are hateful? Zealous to do good to people who might mistreat us and persecute us and despise us and manipulate us and try to destroy us in whatever way. That's the history of the church. And yet the church again and again by God's grace, because they saw themselves as no different than those that are treating them, and they saw that God had shown them mercy they found the capacity in the renewal of the Holy Spirit to then show that same mercy to others. And then finally, he says, you're not only a new person or a mercy to person, but you're an accepted person, okay? You're an accepted person. We see this in verse 7. And it's interesting that the work of the Holy Spirit is associated with justification or being made acceptable or right before God. And the reason is that it's the Holy Spirit that brings about the faith by which we can be justified. It's the Holy Spirit's work, uh, and it's a result of the Holy Spirit's work that we could end up being justified by His grace. You'll see the same thing, by the way, if you just want to check it. It's 1 Corinthians uh, 6, verse 11, where it says, We were washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of Christ and in the Holy Spirit. 
So there again, justification, being declared righteous, is associated with the work of the Holy Spirit. And it must mean that he is the one who brings about the renewal and the new eyes to see the beauty and glory of Christ so that we can entrust ourselves to Christ and be justified. And justified, as you may know, means that I have entered into the favor of God. And again, not because of my works. It's not because I have done anything to make myself worthy of that favor. But I am now associated with Christ. I'm, I'm united to him. He has a righteous standing with God. And so his righteousness is put to my account. His righteousness becomes mine only by virtue of my being united to him. And so that is counted to me. I receive the benefits of his righteousness, though I had done nothing in myself. And so I have the full favor of God. And now since I have the full favor, since I belong to God, since now I'm a child of God, notice We are justified so that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So here's another reason that you and I would show mercy to others. You have been made an heir of God. Isn't it proper that the heirs imitate the one that they're receiving their possession from, right? You think of this, of children, the heirs of, a, per, of a, a father or mother, and how they should honor their father and mother because they are the heirs. They should exhibit the same good character of that father and mother. It's a way to say, you truly belong to God. You truly are counted as his. You're truly counted as a child of his. Manifest that belonging. Manifest that ownership. Manifest the fact that you enjoy this incredible privilege of of being in his favor. There is no condemnation for you. How will that manifest itself in your life? You are forgiven all of your sins. How will that manifest itself in the, the, the security that you have when people mistreat you that You belong to God. You don't have to strike back. You don't need to uh, appeal and get a reputation. You know your identity. I belong to God. I am safe in his hands. No matter what anybody does to me, it, it, it doesn't affect the fact that I have the favor of God through Jesus Christ. So here's, here's the call. <clears throat> Be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. And in this context, as he's talking about rulers and authorities, as he's talking about obedience and every good work, he's particularly talking about how you live in your society, how you live in the city, how you live in Fort Worth, how you live on your street, how you live among your business associates, the people you work with. Uh, how you manifest yourself even to the checkout person at the grocery store, right? How do you relate to those that you know through your school, whatever way? That's particularly what he's saying. And isn't it interesting, in, again and again, he, he says these things about doing this good, and it's very obvious in this context that though it is, of course, to apply to believers, And Galatians 6, 9, 10 says, do good to everyone, especially to the household of faith. So does it leave out the church? 
by any stretch. There's an emphasis on how we're to do good to one another because we're to manifest that love that we have for each other to show that we are disciples of Christ. Christ himself said that. But the emphasis here is how are you manifesting to the world that you are a new person, that you are a mercied person, that you are an accepted person? How, how does that joy, that relief, that wonder, that awe, uh, that peace that you know in these things, how's it manifesting itself in the resilience that you have toward others, that you are gentle toward them? This word gentle is used again and again in respect to unbelievers. Titus 2, 25, it says, Those who disagree, yes, admonish them, but do it with gentleness. Or 1 Peter 3, 15, you're giving a reason for the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness. Show every concern, every courtesy, every sense of, of kindness to everyone. You avoid quarreling. You avoid foolish disputes, etc. That's what you're called to because of your new identity, right? Your new identity. You're a new person. You're a mercied person. You're an accepted person. So may we manifest the great love that God has shown to us. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would continue to work in our lives, that we might manifest the greatness of your salvation that we might manifest the continuing burgeoning life of the Spirit in us. Lord, enable us to continue to make progress in all areas of our lives, to believe in that uh, moving work of the Holy Spirit in us, uh, to believe in its continuing powerful influence, to continue to change things in our lives. Lord, may we never rest. May we never have this sense of coasting, but be moving forward always because of the great work that we believe the Holy Spirit is doing in us. And Lord, we pray that you would deliver us from self-righteousness, deliver us from thinking that in any way, Lord, that we are better than others, that we not be like the Pharisee who looked down on the publican who apparently thought that he was closer to you because he had done more religious good when in fact he did not know you at all. And it was the, the tax gatherer who cried out for mercy that came to know you and came to be uh, justified by you. Oh Lord, bless us that we will have that humility and that it will manifest itself to those around us. For your glory we pray, amen.